Women Taking the Lead, Episode 230. Don't listen to those internal voices. Don't doubt yourself. There is nothing wrong with you wanting to do something that your immediate uh, sphere of family and friends think is beyond your reach. Hello, my name is Jody Flynn and welcome to Women Taking the Lead, where we are all about creating blasts of inspiration to help you overcome self-doubt so you can lead with confidence, integrity, and a sense of humor. Have you grabbed your copy of my best-selling book, Accomplished, How to Go from Dreaming to Doing? Head over to womentakingthelead.com forward slash accomplished to access the secrets to achievement and success. Now, your future awaits, so let's get started. Okay, ladies, let's admit it. We care about the ingredients in the food we eat and the beauty products we use. Why shouldn't the same be true of our feminine care products, especially the ones we put inside our bodies? Lola is a female-founded company offering a line of organic cotton tampons, pads, and liners. They started their company with a simple and seemingly obvious idea. Women shouldn't have to compromise when it comes to their feminine care products. Lola products are 100% natural and 100% easy to feel good about. Unlike major brands, Lola offers complete transparency about the ingredients found in their products. No BS, no mystery fibers, no more doubts about what's going into your body. Lola products are 100% organic cotton with no added chemicals, fragrances, synthetics, or dyes. Plus, Lola products come in a simple, customizable subscription, so you'll never need to make another frantic trip to the drugstore. Lola will deliver exactly what you need, exactly when you need it. I've already received a shipment and I love it. I've said on here before, I'm a huge fan of the subscription model and I love the Lola brand. The tampons were in a cute and modern little box and the inside cover said, this too shall pass and until it does, we're here for you. I laughed out loud when I opened the box. To try out Lola and get 60% off your first order, visit mylola.com, that's M-Y-L-O-L-A.com, and enter promo code LEAD when you subscribe. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us today. I'm here with Carol Mitchell, who is the author of Breaking Through Bitch, How Women Can Shatter Stereotypes and Lead Fearlessly. She co-founded Talent Strategy Partners, working with numerous companies to identify and develop leaders to build the right workplace culture. Carol helps organizations advance women using her proprietary assessment and development programs. She is a frequent speaker and writer on women's leadership and a contributing editor for the Huffington Post. Carol, it is an honor to have you here talking about women and leadership and stereotypes. How fun. (laughs) But if you could tell us a little bit more about yourself first and your own humble beginnings. Okay. Um, absolutely. I, um, I am from the Northeast. I grew up in New Jersey and, um, my influences were, um, were Irish, um, and Catholic. And, um, so in that environment, um, the role of women, and this probably also dates me, um, the role of women, uh, was not to, uh, achieve and excel. And in fact, everything was downplayed <laughs> pretty much. So, um, so that, um, that really got me 
even though I was working um, very hard in school and achieving, uh, I still thought that I could could do better or somehow um, it wasn't enough. So I really did lack confidence, I think, from the very beginning um, or ha- I had self-doubt, if you will. But um, but anyway, I went on. I you know I went on to um, graduate from a state college, and I um, uh, I was a research scientist, and so I I was working as a research scientist, and um, I was doing some pretty significant stuff. Uh, and at one point, I was working. This is about five years into my, um, my career as a scientist. And I was working on a project that, um, was really cool. I won't go into the details, but, um, it was, um, it was with another department in the company than where I was. And I was presenting my research results and I was the only woman in the room. Uh, and the person whose lab I, um, I was in that I worked with was also in the audience. And when it came time for questions, um, the questions, although the person would look at me, they would then look at the guy from my lab, um, and direct the question toward him instead of me. And um, luckily, that man was aware of uh, the dynamics and would always steer the questions back to to me. But feeling, I mean, my feeling at that point in time was I thought it was me. I thought that, gee, I'm not exuding enough command and, you know, confidence in my material. And that's why people think they have to ask the guy the question instead of me. And it really wasn't until graduate school and, and studying uh, psychology that I realized that there was definite gender issues going on um, that I had, I had blamed myself for. (laughs) So, um, so anyway, that's, um, that's my uh, humble beginnings, if you will. Yeah. And Kara, I have to, you know, we have similar backgrounds, you know, in terms of the communities that we grew up in. And I also experienced some similar things that, you know, there were certain things that the boys could do and there were things that girls could not, you know, it just wasn't an option um, at the time. And I remember (laughs) growing up, it's not, I don't remember specifically anyone saying you can only be these things for your career, but oftentimes when career was talked about, it was you would hear secretary or teacher or nurse and not much more than that. And there was always the dot, 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 and you can be anything you want to be. But that wasn't true because if you said, I want to be a priest, you know, they were like, no, no, you can't be that. You can be anything you want to be except for, you know, all these other things that only men can do. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, the other thing was just any, any time I really expressed ambition around something that would push the envelope outside that role. Um, I mean, I would hear things like, seriously, who do you think you are? Um, And, you know, that kind of settles in. And then I think about uh, a relationship I had very, very early on my, the first time I I got married pretty much right out of college. Um, But just 
the the concept of uh, you know I was I was doing research in biotechnology, and I you know it it was serious research, um, and at the time that uh, that we were after we got married and we moved, I was looking for a job and I wanted, I was looking for, you know, I was going to the big medical centers and the biotechs and whatnot. And my husband at the time was like, well, why don't you, why don't you waitress at (laughs) XYZ institution or why don't you teach? So, um, so even, even someone my own age was kind of pushing back, like, like why, you know, like it was ridiculous to be reaching for, you know, for a research position, even though I, I was leaving one. Right. Um, but it's just that, you know, that constant push of, you know, you're being too ambitious. Uh, so, Yeah. And I was going to ask you as well, Carol, because it's interesting like this, you know, you shared how you grew up and, you know, kind of the the mindset in at that time. And then you were like, and I was, you know, in research and science. And I was like, well, that was kind of breaking the mold in those days. Tell it. How did you how did you get into biotechnology? Well, um, well, I was a, uh, a pre-med, you know, uh, student in college and I, um, my senior year, I got a, uh, you know, this five credit research course and, and that was, that was probably a, that was a huge milestone actually. I had, um, I, so I went to a big university. So, you know, you go to lectures in, uh, in an auditorium where nobody knows your name. Right. And, um, I remember in my junior year, a, um, a professor, a, a cell biologist had wanted to meet with me um, had set up a meeting for me with him in his office. And he said, I just want to let you know that your advisor is very frustrated with you because you're not attending all the classes, yet you're managing to pull down bees in those classes and it really bothers him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and what's your problem? Why aren't you going to class? And I was just like, whoa. And I mean, I was amazed. He goes, you're smart. I, you know, because I was in one of his classes, he said, what are you doing? And he said, look, when next year, I think you should really look into this, um, you know, the senior uh, level lab course um, and, you know, told me who to go and talk to. And my reaction was, yeah, but I'm not getting the grades. And he's like, stop, Mm. (laughs) stop go talk to this guy. So I did. And I got into this course. It was because of that course and working in the lab that I, um, he gave me a recommendation when I graduated from college to a professor at the University of Pennsylvania who was involved in a um, startup biotech in collaboration with uh, GE. Wow. (laughs) And right. So that's how it happened. It was that that professor that took an interest and noticed that, um, you know, I had promise, but I, I wasn't, I wasn't stepping up to the plate and, and really pushed me. 
Um, and then that connection led to the connection to Penn and the, and the biotech. So, um, and then that experience ultimately uh, led me to Boston and uh, a company called Genzyme, where that was awesome. Uh, it was a startup, and I was one of the first dozen employees there. Um, it's since become a very large organization, but um, but it's those connections, right? That that and I wasn't, you know, I wasn't working and looking for connections that would get me to the next place. It was. It was just fortuitous. Right. God bless teachers, right? The ones who oh, step in and make a difference. I know, Jody. I, I mean, I have to say that every once in a while it, it comes back up. And I think, you know, I wonder if I could find this guy's email and just tell him that he changed my life, mm. <laughs> right? That he made such a positive impact. You start, I mean, you know, once you get over 50, I think you start well, maybe maybe even over 40, you start thinking about these people who really helped you and made you successful and you want to go back and thank them. Mm -hmm. I, I actually did recently in the last year or so, had an opportunity to have a Skype call with a teacher from high school who made a difference in my life. I want to have her on this podcast. It hasn't worked out yet, but um, had an opportunity to say I made it, you know, I quote unquote made it right. Like I'm doing well. Thank you so right. much. It was because, mm -hmm. you know, you had an influence on me at a very pivotal point in my life. And yeah, it's amazing. Mm. Uh, all right, Carol, we could go on and on. <laughs> yeah, we have work to do here. So uh, at this point, you know, before we get into the rest of the questions, we're definitely going to talk about like where you are now and all the exciting things that you're doing. But I'd like to start us off with um, the playing small moment, right? Those moments when we, we just don't recognize our value. We may hold ourselves back. Um, but luckily, there's usually a, a happy ending, or at least at this point, there's another side we've gotten to the other side of that moment. So if you would share with us your playing small story and the lessons you've learned. Sure. Um, so I, um, you know, as I was trajecting there through my early career, um, I eventually moved from Genzyme to, um, to DuPont and their pharmaceutical R&D division and um, had a lot of, lot of great uh colleagues who, uh, they were encouraging me to go back to school. And at that point, my view of school wasn't very positive. I was just, you know, I'm like, no way, Jose, am I going back to, um, you know, what, what I remembered my experience of college. And, um, and so that was my first line of, of excuse, right? Um, and then my next line of excuse was I was embarrassed because, my grade point average wasn't very high, so I didn't think I would be able to get in. So I didn't want to apply and be rejected. <laughs> mm. um, and then, um, and then I would look into it, and it was like, well, but um, I, I would have to stop working, uh, and I can't afford to do that. And I just kept making excuses for why I couldn't even apply. Um, and so there was someone at that point who had said, you know, I, you know, they, they outline these rules. He said, but people don't necessarily follow the rules. 
this thing about having to go full time, that can be negotiated. You know, this thing about, you know, and he just pointed out to me that I needed to just see what, see what I could get. Right. Um, and so, so then, so I apply and I get accepted. <laughs> I get accepted into a graduate program for, um, counseling psychology and psychological services. And, um, I thought, oh, well, I guess they didn't have a lot of applicants this year. In other words, they accepted me because they were accepting everyone. Mm -hmm. I, I really, I really believed that. And I actually remember saying that. Um, and then I thought, well, I have tuition reimbursement from DuPont. So they're, you know, they're eager to get somebody who's going to pay full freight for this, for this, um, uh, master's program. <laughs> and I, you know, it, it, it was just a, an aha moment for me when I realized, and, it, and quite frankly, it was after I was already engaged in the program and doing really well um, and, you know, graduated at the top of my class that I was, I finally thought, you know, um, I, I could have been I could have been back in the lab, not doing anything about advancing my career um, very easily. And here I am and I've succeeded. So it was, I think I realized at that point that, um, that I was holding myself back. And yes, a lot of it is those internalized messages. Who do you think you are? Um, you know, going, you know, working in science or, you know, going for going to an Ivy League school, you know, just all those messages that that you you kind of ingest and it's hard to get rid of them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The first step is to be aware of it. And it sounds like you weren't even aware of it till you were in your program, like you said, in your program doing well. I was just talking about this um, at a presentation I was doing last week where I was talking about how if something happens that goes against our belief system, we have two choices. We either have to adjust our belief system or we will make excuses for why what is happening is an anomaly. Mm -hmm. and, and so, and we can do that for a while. Like you just gave an example of how, and this happened. And so I made this excuse and then I made this up. And then I told myself this, like you were convincing yourself that it was a fluke that you were here by accident or the circumstances mm -hmm. had it so that they were taking anybody that year. And can you imagine if you had trained yourself at that point to change your belief, to be like, oh, <laughs> I really am pretty amazing. Like they were right. I am capable of this program, but you had to be in the program and prove it to yourself before you mm -hmm. believe it. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And, and, you know, I, um, I also realized that even though I had that, I'll call it an aha moment, um, I continue to fall into the trap and then can, and have these aha moments. So, it's, um, you, you know, so I didn't necessarily break the cycle right at that point in time. Well, you know, Carol, what I say too, because I'm a coach and oftentimes the things I'm coaching and helping other people overcome, I'm also susceptible to myself. But mm -hmm. what the difference is, I've trained myself to recognize it 
as it's happening and stop it sooner, right? And you've probably noticed that in yourself too. Yes, Mm, you trip mm -hmm. over the same things, but you catch it a lot quicker so that you can change, you know, your mindset about what's happening sooner. You don't have to be well into a program before you decide like, oh, okay, I can start to believe that I belong here. You know, you probably catch the thought and change the mindset almost immediately. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Now, you brought up wake up call and I want another one (laughs) because I Mm -hmm. love I love wake up call stories. So, Carol, if you would share with us uh, another time in your life when you had another wake up call and here would love to hear the, the steps that led up to that moment and then the actions you took that led to your success. Okay, um, the aha moment actually, um, involves me writing my book. And so I will go back to, uh, what leads up to that aha moment and, um, back. So I finished my master's degree. I went on and was in a PhD program for organizational psychology. You'll notice that I, I did switch careers by going back to graduate school. I left the lab and science. Um, you know, I, I loved it, but it wasn't lucrative. And also, I didn't want to go back to graduate school for molecular biology and have to do a postdoc and have to write grants. It, it didn't give me that, um, you know, what I really wanted from my career. And so I, I, I went for a career in organizational psychology. So, um, so anyway, my dissertation was about I was, and by the way, I, I was working full time while I was going through my graduate program, which was a great thing because it was like I had my own lab, if mm-hmm. you will, of people um, and, you know, just fodder for papers. It, it was great. But anyway, I did my dissertation looking at the differences between men and women in leadership. And I knew that what it took to be a successful leader as a woman was different. You couldn't just act like a man. I knew that they were different. So I decided that that was what my project, my dissertation was going to be on, was looking at those behavioral differences. And so as a result, I came up with a women's leadership model. Um, So it was a profile of, of success, if you will, um, or a roadmap of behaviors that women demonstrate. Uh, and they, the women that I, I did the behavioral study on um, had these things in common, and they were different from men. So my dissertation, um, you know, when I wrote it up, uh, I remember sitting with my committee, and they said, oh, you're going to make us all famous, um, because I, you know, I had written this up, and it was... I guess it was cutting edge at the time. It was um, 2000. And um, I didn't think it necessarily was because I knew what was out there in the academic literature. Um, So anyway, I graduate and I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to make this dissertation a popular book. Okay. So in 2001, you know, I, I was busy In 2003, I thought about it again, but a literary agent said, "Um, oh, 
this this kind of stuff doesn't sell. There's nothing new here. So then I just kind of packed it away and uh, focused on, well, focused on my business and the work we were doing in leadership development. Um, but Sheryl Sandberg wrote a book called Lean In, which probably many people here um, know about. And when she came out with that book and I saw the reaction, I thought, wow. I mean, she really opened the door to the conversation about women's leadership and how women face a different set of obstacles and, um, and uh, that they have to navigate. And the way she came at it was how she navigated it. And she was encouraging people. And I thought, yeah, but they're not you. And oh, by the way, I have not only my dissertation research, but in all my years as a leadership consultant, um, I've been doing behavioral interviews with men and women. So I have this vast base of knowledge about successful um, uh, women in leadership. And I thought, I've, I really, I I really want to write this book. I really do have something to say, and I think it's different, and it's a contribution. Um, and I was really encouraged by my business partner and also um, some of her colleagues who she had told, you know, about my reaction to the Sheryl Sandberg book. And, you know, I was beating myself up because I hadn't written a book yet. And, um, and so it was, it was really, I wish I could say, you know, I came to the realization that I really needed to do this and I had something different to say. I needed my friends and colleagues to remind me of that. So, um, so I guess the second aha moment was realizing that I had been telling myself, yeah, everybody knows about this, um, you know, in the, you know, there are professors that have written about this and, um, you know, anybody who is working knows about this. So I, I just didn't appreciate that, uh, people may have been aware of it, but the way I talk about it would necessarily be different. And, and I have something to say that, that could add to the conversation. Mm-hmm. It, it's that, that same old story of, we think, what we know and what we've mastered is common sense. And the reality is it's not. Like you said, you'd had all that research, graduate level research, and all that experience working with leaders. And most of the people don't have that. And I think, like you said, like, you know, people who've had the experiences, like you talk about in your book, they're aware of it, but they're probably not processing it or looking at it the same way you're looking at it. Like they need, sometimes we need somebody else to point out the elephant in the room and say, hey, look, there's an elephant in the room. And we're like, oh, we thought that was wallpaper. Oh, we thought that was just the way things were. Oh, we thought that's the way things had to be until somebody comes along and says, no, like it, it doesn't, you know, it's not wallpaper. It's not, you don't have to assume this. Um, and, and a lot of times too, you know, 
not everyone who read, you know, I'll, I'll give this as an example. I really enjoyed Lean In. I, I absolutely did. But not everyone I talked to appreciated the way it was presented, you know, or the stories that were talked about. Like a lot of people couldn't that I talked to couldn't connect to working with Google or working at Facebook or, you know, like technology based companies. So sometimes it takes multiple voices Mm -hmm. talking about the same thing for everyone to hear it because not everyone's going to resonate with one or two people. Sometimes we have to hear things from different sources to really be able to take in the information. Yeah. All right, Carol. So the next thing I wanted to ask you about is your leadership style. You've worked in various industries. You've also had the opportunity to work um, in various companies with all sorts of peoples. Um, And what I really want everyone to appreciate is our leader, you know, there's no one way to lead. Like you don't have, like there are people we admire and sometimes we assume I have to lead like that in order to be a good leader. But as you know, leadership is comprised of our experiences, our training, our strengths, our personality, and that all cumulatively creates our leadership style. So Carol, how would you describe your leadership style? Um, so my leadership style is, at the core of it, is really um, about getting people engaged and excited about what I'm excited about. So um, so it's really speaking enthusiastically about where it is that we're all headed. Um, what, um, what I'm working on is being better at really pulling, pu- pulling from people in a collaborative way. And what I mean by that is realizing that, uh, that, I can get help (laughs) that I, I don't necessarily have the best idea, um, that it's a good idea, but it could be even better if I really engage others in the conversation. And although I've always seen myself as being collaborative, I have lately recognized that I, I do have a control issue you know, I am a bit of a perfectionist and I, um, you know, I, I, I'm recognizing that I have to let go Mm -hmm. (laughs) and, and I also have to, um, I need to take a step back and put, put my ideas out there, but, but to, um, to, to invite, you know, to really solicit, um, people to build on that. Um, versus just like trying to push this great idea. Awesome. And Carol, what is one thing you're working on within your business that you're really excited about and want to share with us? Um, yes. So um, so my business, Talent Strategy Partners, is a consulting firm. And we work with um, uh, managers, executives, and organizations to help them with develop leaders, identify and develop their emerging leaders, if you will. And, and so um, our client has always been, you know, mid to large size organizations. What we're working on right now, and this has to do with the women's leadership development, um, we have a, an assessment that's based on the women's leadership blueprint 
So it's a multi-rater assessment um, that one can go through and um, set yourself against the behaviors that, that in my research um, I found are associated with women who successfully lead. And the, the work that we're collaborating on is um, we're working with executive coaches um, to certify them in being able to have their clients go through this assessment um, and, so, and help them um, uh, debrief their clients uh, and understand the model. So that's been, it's been different in that it's, it's really a whole different relationship between uh, my, my organization and who the client is. And then also in the same vein, we are collaborating with, a, with another um, small leadership development firm to uh, look at um, building out a whole offering around the women's leadership blueprint. And so when I was talking about needing to let go of control, this is, this is like the ultimate test to be able, you know, this is my baby. I need to take a step back and I need to be open and, and ask and bring in um, the opinions of our collaborators. And Carol, on the flip side of things, what would you say is the biggest leadership or business challenge you're faced with right now? Oh, well, um, <laughs> so as you can imagine, you know, I mean, I'm still, I still have that uh, profile of being a researcher, of being somewhat introverted, and, um, and I'm, very, I'm very focused on the content of my work. What I'm not so good at is um, marketing and getting the word out there and um, and really selling the business, selling this work. So that's really our challenge is getting more visibility with potential clients. And we've always relied on, you know, just making the right connections with people, but I recognize that as being limited um, and just trying to figure out how to have a bigger footprint, if you will, in the marketplace. Mm -hmm. And, you know, putting yourself on a podcast, that's not a bad step (laughs) as Mm -hmm. well to be more visible. Mm -hmm. All right, Carol, now I'm going to do a quick leadership roundup. So for the next couple of questions, just one sentence answers. What is one practice you have that helps to make you a better leader? My enthusiasm and my passion for what it is that I'm doing and when I'm working with others, what we're doing together. What advice would you give your younger self? (laughs) Don't listen to those internal voices. Don't doubt yourself. There is nothing wrong with you wanting to do something that your immediate uh, sphere of family and friends think is beyond your reach. Now share with us a success quote or a mantra and then tell us why it has meaning for you. Okay. So the quote that I think of, and I'm just trying to think about how it connects, is um, from a physicist, Richard Feynman. And it's actually a quote his, uh, from his wife. And it's, what do you care what other people think? And 
the reason I think about that quote is that, um, I, well, and I guess it goes back to those internal voices and the, and the, the people that, um, although they loved me and supported me, they really thought I was getting out of my depth or realm, if you will. And I really, I really cared about what they thought of me. And, um, the reason I know about the quote is my husband says it to me all the time mm-hmm. <laughs> and reminds me, I mean, we have his, we have Richard Feynman's book, which is titled, what do you care what other people think? So, um, it's really having the courage to, to, um, uh, you know, to, to, to take risks and to do things that you really believe in, even if other people are, and maybe, maybe to be kind, maybe they were just scared for me. Like they didn't want me to be disappointed or whatever, but, um, uh, you know, just turn those, turn the voices that hold you back, turn those off and just say, you know, what do you care what other people think? Just, just do it. You know, you can do it. And lastly, Carol, what is the best way for this community to connect with you? Um, The best way is probably through my email address. It's um, C as in Carol, V as in Victor, Mitchell, and that's M-I-T-C-H-E-L-L, at talentstrategypartners.com. Okay, so that's C.V. Mitchell at talentstrategypartners.com. And I should say that just in case that doesn't work, <laughs> our, um, the at can also be T as in talent, S as in strategy, P as in partners, HR.com. Okay, so that's C.V. Mitchell at TSPHR.com. Yes. Awesome. Okay. And so for those of you who are on the go, you know you can find all the links and resources shared in this episode at womentakingthelead.com. And Carol, thank you so much for taking the time to inspire and enlighten us. We are all better for having met you. Oh, thanks, Jody. It was a pleasure. Before we say goodbye, I want to give a huge shout out to Millie Welsh at ZebraLab Web Solutions. She does the hosting for the Women Taking the Lead website, as well as the SEO and payment solutions. So if you need help with any of these things, contact Millie at ZebraLabWebSolutions.com. Thank you all for joining me on Women Taking the Lead. And to strengthen you on your own leadership journey, I'd like to send you off with a quote from Marianne Williamson, so here goes. Our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness, that most frightens us. We ask ourselves, who am I to be brilliant, gorgeous, talented, fabulous? Actually, who are you not to be? You are a child of God. Your playing small does not serve the world. There is nothing enlightened about shrinking so that other people won't feel insecure around you. We are all meant to shine as children do. We were born to make manifest the glory of God that is within us. It's not just in some of us, it's in everyone. And as we let our own light shine, we unconsciously give other people permission to do the same. As we are liberated from our own fear, our presence automatically liberates others. Again, thank you for joining me, and here's to your success.